Previously on X-Men. The, the major running conflict with Wolverine is that, is his guilt. Our ability to understand God's purpose is limited, but we take comfort in the fact that his love is limitless. <laughs> I used to buy into all that, but I've lived too long and I've done too much. Yeah. It's like the number one. I, I think, mm, was it Frank Miller who first wrote the line that I'm the best in the world at something, but that thing is not very nice. Mm-hmm. You know, and he's talking about killing. Mm-hmm. And um, but but it's it's a constant in in the Wolverine story that he doesn't feel worthy and he feels guilty for, you know, all the all the bloodshed that he's that he's caused. I hurt myself today to see if I still feel I focus. Logan kind of embodies the. Because he is old, but he also is physically young, so he's present. Not and he's not the old guy who's like, I remember the old days. You know, he's the he's physically young, but he's mentally old, mm-hmm. and he carries with himself. He's lost a lot of his memory, but he still feels the remorse for the bad things that he doesn't remember doing. And in a sense, it's almost like he's that that presence or that spirit who's like um we have forgotten what we did to be here but we know that some of it was wrong yep but we also don't know how we would get here otherwise you know my my mom's dad fought in world war ii and it messed him up really really bad 18 years old he fought in germany never talked about it right so certainly he saw people die certainly he killed people he you know, but he didn't really have a choice. And so like, this gets back to the complexity is, yeah, we live in a world without Nazis. We live in a world with people we compare to Nazis because of, um, because of things like, because of sacrifices my grandfather made, right? Mm -hmm. But it messed him up. Maybe that's the Wolverine story. Logan, you still have time. Welcome to another episode of Deep Talks. I'm your host, Paul Anleitner. And back again with us this week is platinum-selling songwriter and even better human being, John Mark McMillan. I hope all of you had an opportunity to listen to part one of this conversation featuring John Mark McMillan. It's entitled, John Mark McMillan Wrestles with Our Violent Heroes. If you haven't listened to that, maybe you want to start there. That might help set the table for today's conversation. But of course, you're always welcome to just dive right in with part two today. There is a full unedited video of this entire dialogue with John Mark available to patrons on my Patreon page. Just follow the link in the description. Patreon is the way that I keep this podcast free of advertisements. It's also the way that I keep my writing on Substack free of doing things like needing a subscription charge. And so if you're finding this podcast to be of value to your life, would you consider supporting it today? If we have a couple hundred supporters on Patreon, it keeps this work going. It keeps this work free of advertisement. I refuse to colonize your attention with advertisements for mattresses, grooming products, whatever you might hear on every other, (laughs) seemingly every other podcast out there. 
So without further ado, I hope you enjoy today's conversation. Part two of John Mark McMillan wrestles with our violent heroes. What do you think about, um, okay, so you got these stories that maybe when we're younger, we can't process the complexities of what Chris Green talks about as disfigured Christ who both reflect and distort Christian convictions of who we are. You know, they, they have both in them. So I think about in the world of comic books, how from my vantage point, I'm not handing like Ryder, our youngest is eight years old. I'm not handing him Watchmen no. <laughs> on mul- for multiple reasons. You know? <laughs> one of which, I mean, the obvious one is like adult content, but there's also, for me, it would seem developmentally inappropriate for him to have to try to process the moral complexities of these characters. And so I feel like you need at a young age, you need the simple good guy, bad guy story. And then you are able to process as you get older, hopefully, the moral complexities of the world. But here's the tension, and I want I want to I want to hear your thoughts on this, John Mark. So DC went through this whole the DC rebirth arc. I don't know if you followed that that comic book arc at all. Uh not a, a little bit, but I'm more of a Marvel guy. I don't okay. I, you know, I don't dislike DC, but there's yeah. the, there's such big worlds. There's you know, so totally. D- I just never quite found the inroad into like the general DC world. I mean, I like um, the Watchmen and yep. I'm a big fan of like the Batman films, but I never was able to get deep into the. All right. So, you know, the story of Watchmen, you know, yep. Watchmen was Alan Moore's attempt to almost like to critique and deconstruct these certain kinds of heroes and to show them as morally complex. Yep. And, uh, you know, it was critically acclaimed. And, the rebirth story, DC's rebirth, part of which brings in the traditional like DC universes with this storyline about um, Dr. Manhattan and some of the other characters from Watchmen. And I'm, I'm, I'm butchering the summary because it's like you're saying, it's so complex. But the, the interesting thing was you have this like final confrontation, spoiler alert, between Dr. Manhattan and, and Superman. And Superman being the the I, I mean the traditional truth justice American way Superman because there's in the story like you know there's ten different Supermen from different universes. the The funny thing about that story was people were interpreting it, and this is my interpretation too, of what DC wanted to do is they felt like after Watchmen with the success of Watchmen they were telling these like morally complex stories that were really drawing on that sort of watchman ethos of like, you've got nobody's good. So nobody's good. They're all different degrees of bad (laughs) and rebirth was a critique. So in the end, like I forget the exact mechanism that he does this, but essentially Superman is able to, like defeat, but not through force. He's able to defeat Dr. Manhattan and to reset the universe. And a lot of people were saying this was a critique. Uh, DC Comics was realizing 
in presenting all these morally complex characters who none of them seem to be good and celebrating, you know, in the nineties in our heyday, it was like, well, you know, everyone loves the Punisher. So what should we do? Let's kill off Batman or at least break his back with Bane. And then we'll bring in this other Batman Azrael, who's violent and he's much more like the Punisher. <laughs> and then let's bring super, let's kill Superman and bring these other Supermen in who are violent. Yeah. And then Superman comes back with a mullet and, and blue jeans. <laughs> So in this DC rebirth story there, they are essentially resetting the universe so that they can get back to what they thought were, you know, previous iterations of these characters who are instantiations of virtue. Mm-hmm. And I've really been think since talking with Chris, I've been trying to figure out what is the role of kind of both of those kinds of stories. The one where you've got a hero that is, I mean, there's no flaw in them, no apparent flaw in them, you know, maybe minor flaws. And then the stories where you have these heroes, these anti-heroes, these comedian or, uh, you know, Rorschach, these, these guys that you're like, these are not heroes, but they might be necessary to keep away worse evil when you think about like raising your own kids and maybe even the stories you consume, I mean, what do Christians do in particular with like both of those kinds of stories? How do they make us maybe better or worse at engaging with the real world or maybe even engaging with like the complexities of scripture? I don't know if you have any thoughts on those like story a, which is truth, justice, American way, superhero, you know, the, the big blue boy scout, the captain America mm-hmm. versus the stories of the Punisher and Deadpool and even Logan Wolverine to a certain extent, how much, what value do each of those play? Yep, man, there's, uh, there's a lot to talk about there. Isn't there? I mean, with, even with Wolverine, if you follow him over the years, his main, and this doesn't really make it into the movies at all. And I, I'm a big fan of the movies. Well, not all, not all the movies. Some of the X-Men movies were not good. Yeah. But I, I'm a big fan of Hugh Jackman as Wolverine, but he is a very different Wolverine than the Wolverine people knew, you know, since the 70s, you know. Um, and I, one thing they don't communicate very well, which they probably don't have time because they have so many characters, but is that... Um, one of the running uh the, the major running conflict with Wolverine is that is his guilt. Yeah. It's like the number one. I, I think mm, was it Frank Miller who first wrote the line that I'm the best in the world at something, but that thing is not very nice. Mm-hmm. You know, and he's talking about killing. Mm-hmm. And um, but but it's it's a constant in in the Wolverine um story that he doesn't feel worthy. And he feels guilty for, you know, all the all the bloodshed that he's that he's caused, you know. So that's a that's a huge. But but he also he's everybody's favorite <laughs> character. Well, but that's the interesting thing, though. Like, okay, so why why does he even feel guilt? Yeah, you well, know, yeah. like when we look at that and we go, well, that's good that he feels guilt. I feel like we're already importing, like we're. Well, we're saying Logan doesn't measure up to Christ, you know, yeah. like he's dealing with it. And even there's yeah. some tension there actually in, in the comics, you know, his engagement sometimes with Nightcrawler, yeah, there's yeah. that 
awesome scene in um i think it's house of x in that story where they're about both of them about to go on essentially it's a suicide mission and logan turns to nightcrawler who's a devout catholic and he's like do you think i'll see you on the other side of this and nightcrawler's like brother i'll be there greeting you (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah so why like why does he even feel guilt you know there's there's certain there's some of these anti well and logan's is he a hero? Is he anti-hero? Some of these anti-heroes don't feel like the guilt and the yeah. remorse. So why do we look at that and go, yeah, he should feel a sense of that. That's a sign of his maturity. It's a sign of like, he realizes there's a better vision of the world available. Yeah. Well, the other thing that they don't communicate incredibly well in the, in the movies is how old Wolverine is and how, you know, he's, I, I think he's fought in multiple wars. Yeah. You know, so Logan kind of embodies the because he is old, but he also is physically young. So he's present, not and he's not the old guy who's like, I remember the old days. You know, he's the he's physically young, but he's mentally old Mm -hmm. and he carries with himself. He's lost a lot of his memory, but he still feels the remorse for the bad things that he doesn't remember doing. And, um, and in a sense, it's almost like, um, I'm, I'm probably sound like I'm trying to sound smarter than I am, but just workshopping this out loud. I wonder if he's that, like that presence or that spirit who's like, um, we have forgotten what we did to be here, but we know that some of it was wrong. Yep. But we also don't know how we would get here. Otherwise, you know, my, my mom's dad fought in World War II and it messed him up really, really bad. 18 years old, he fought in Germany. Never talked about it, right? So certainly he saw people die. Certainly he killed people. He, you know, but he didn't really have a choice. And so like, this gets back to the complexity is, yeah, we live in a world without Nazis. I mean, we have, well, you know, you know, everybody thinks their enemy is yeah. a Nazi now, but yeah, yeah. Nazi. Yeah. It's sort of like a thing, but it's, but we live, we, we don't live in a world with actual um, Nazis. Yeah. It's not the man in the high castle world. No, no, no. You know, um, we live in a world with people we compare to Nazis be- because of, um, because of things like the cause of sacrifices my grandfather made. Right. Mm-hmm. But it messed him up. And so we kind of maybe that's Wolverine. We sort of live with the ghosts of the things that, you know, people felt like they had to do so that we could live. You know, I mean, it's, 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 it, gets so, it gets so hard to talk about. Right. I mean, it gets so difficult. It seems like it know? presupposes, though, again, that there is like there's something better. Yeah. That he's reaching for. Yeah. You know, that the writers can even envision for his, his character, that there's something, you know, there's there's like there's an aching for an an age to come yeah. where he wouldn't. I mean, that's a running theme in Logan's story. He he's, yeah. he's he would prefer not to be a violent man. Yeah. You know, but it keeps finding him. Yep. Somehow. Yep. Constantly. And and the other thing is he he has this like because he lives long he has this Highlander type thing too where like even if he was to settle down for you know fifty years a hundred years 
you know, he's still going to lose everybody that he loves. Right. Yeah. But that's, really Chris's, that's Chris's point about how the hunter hero yeah. can never participate fully in the order they brought about. Yeah. And in Wolverine, this is over and over and over again. He finds a, he finds someone, they fall in love. They maybe get married. And then of course, you know, it's like the Godfather. Every time I try to get out, they keep dragging me back in, you know, this is, and this is, this is Wolverine, right? This is Wolverine, man. You know, another film, I, I had this other thought uh, uh, films that I think are genres that I think walk right alongside Westerns are at, are um, at least Western Kung Fu movies. I haven't seen a lot of Kung Fu movies that, mm-hmm. you know, aren't sort of geared towards a Western audience a little bit. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But Kung Fu movies all have the same. They tend to have the same kind of cowboy vibe. The guy, the, the peaceful guy comes to town. He doesn't want any problem. He just wants to be left alone. Wants yeah. to help out people who need help. You know, man. Oh, dude, I, that I was going to bring that up. And this is this is this is why I think it's that this narrative is so deep in me. When you watch that movie and he's like, I don't want to fight. I don't want to fight. I don't want to be violent. I don't even want to fight my friends. I don't even want to fight for fun. I'm just good at it. And people are coming from all over to see him fight. And he's like, I don't want to fight. And he even finds peaceful ways to not fight until he's finally forced to it. But when that happens, when he finally goes full <laughs> IP yeah. man, it's like my, I, my body physically responds to that in a really interesting way that doesn't happen in most movies that I see. Yeah. Like, what is that? I I don't know. I don't know when he, <laughs> I don't want to ruin it for people who haven't seen the movie. Cause it's incredible. I've recommended it to so many people. Yeah. You know, why, why are you rooting for him? You're like, like <laughs> you, you want him to get violent. You're, you're just waiting. You're like, Oh, I well, wish that's what you, I'm torn that's peaceful. I I'm wish so- you would just, destroy this guy and when he finally does it's like your 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 body explodes with emotion at least at least no i'm so torn i'm so torn by that i don't know that i'm sure there are i haven't met many women who watched that movie and had the same impact but Mm -hmm. a lot of guys get like emotional yeah because the whole time they're like he's they're just waiting it's like he has this superpower. He refuses to engage. And then he's finally pushed over the line. And when it happens, it is incredible. It is. And Even I'm now I'm, I'm like, so, oh, thinking about it. I want to go watch it right now. <laughs> it's such a great movie. Oh, oh. man. It's so great. Um, on so many levels. I mean, there's like the art to the way that the the choreography of them fighting, too. There's so many levels of that. But I that's this is the thing recently I've really been grappling with is what do I do with that thing in me that when I see that it gets excited mm-hmm. and is that, is that something that needs like repentance or is there some good purpose to it? And I go back and forth. I feel like the thing I'm excited about because I actually, I'm not really into, I'm not like, for example, I'm not a Tarantino guy. Mm-hmm. And this is no condemnation for anybody that's into him. I just find, I find his stuff typically to be sadomasochistic. I feel like it's 
there's almost like a sexual pleasure in so much of his violence. Like, again, I don't mean, <laughs> now that I've said that, people are going to feel like I'm definitely making a condemning statement to anybody that, that likes it. I don't get pleasure out of violence for violence sake, but I've noticed if there is some defenseless or oppressed group that needs what I might say is like an agent of wrath, an agent of justice to come and displace the oppressor. I get, I do get excited about that, but I'm torn on it too, because I'm go back and forth and I go, am I, am I like Peter here in the garden (laughs) drawing the sword, cutting off the guard's ear and Jesus goes, no, is that, was that just for that one time case? You know, was it just because he was going to the cross or is that a pattern that should be continually reenacted in all Christians where we see that and go, no, 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 this isn't the way that we're going to get the order. Cause I do ultimately believe that there's a slain lamb enthroned as the ruler of the cosmos. And I don't think it's by those means that ultimately we're going to have the cosmos reoriented completely to it, to a state of, uh, uh, of union to, to the, to the eschaton, to a state of perfected order. And I do think that's nestled into the story of Jesus in ways that I mean, even yet, like yet we're recording this on Monday after Palm Sunday. And even like the Palm store Sunday story is so wild. When you think about what Jesus is like intentionally reenacting, he's riding in on the donkey, you know, he's, he's clearly intentionally borrowing from prophecy about the king that is to come riding in on the foal of an ass. And he's going to be the, the a king that brings peace, but he's also doing it in a way that people are say, saying, this, this is the son of David. And when David entered in Jerusalem, there's this taunt and kudos, you know, to my friend, Paul Vanderclay brought this up after he was doing some debrief on Chris and I's video. And he brought up this, this story about how you know, in Samuel, when David actually took Jerusalem and became king of Jerusalem, he was taunted by the Jebusites who were actually occupying Jerusalem. And they were taunting him saying, even our blind and our lame could keep you out of the city. You know, like you're so weak. And when David comes in, like he slaughters everybody and establishes order that way. Jesus comes into the city, clears the temple. And then he's like healing the blind and the lame. You're just like, okay. So healing is obviously to me, the way Christians are to bring about order. And so I see the reluctance of IP man. And I see the remorse of Logan as going, okay, they know there's a better way, but what do I do when they've tried that better way? (laughs) And it just doesn't seem to work. Do I get to cheer? I know. Well, and that's where it gets difficult, you know, um, only last week, uh, you know, there was a, another school shooting and yeah. it was in Nashville. And I like know people who I don't know anyone who was in the school, but I have friends who knew people in the school, knew people who were killed, you know, and so this uh, and we, we have all these conversations 
with my friends every time something like this happens you know you can just make the list there's right. like all the issues come up you talk about all of them um and this and, and this issue always pops up is you know would you if you were in the situation where you know someone was gonna shoot your child and the only um and the only way you could prevent that was happening is, is you shoot the other person first and now these someone things, else's child yeah yeah so it's like what do you do and I, you know in my mind i was like i, I would i i'm not saying it's the right thing but if i was in that exact situation because once the, once the situation gets more complex you get you go down the road and uh, not to belittle it but you, you know you go to a minority report type of situation where like yep. so how much are you willing to do right like at, at what point it are do you just allow evil to exist right but in that exact moment i know what i would do i'm pretty mm -hmm. sure yeah totally you know like a, an, a another person would not shoot one of my children you know if i had well any any way to stop it right i was i was a teacher in yeah. the classroom for years and i can tell you even obviously i've cared for my own kids but to be entrusted with someone else's children and we would do these lockdown drills and i don't i mean i'll be i don't own a firearm um i've i mean i've i've shot a rifle at some cans out at the family farm you know uh, I don't even hunt. I, I mean, I don't hunt necessarily for, it's not like ethical reasons. I just never grew up doing it, which is, makes me a weirdo here in Minnesota. It's big, big hunting country. But when I was a teacher and we would do these drills, like, I got to be honest. I just sat there and went, this is, give me a gun. Mm. You know, like if this really went down mm -hmm. like this and I'm conflicted, I'm conflicted on multiple levels. One, I, I would actually, I would actually think that most of the parents of those students, if I think the parents of sadly, the parents of those kids in Nashville who are still alive are very, very thankful for the police officers, yeah. two officers that came and ended that before it got yeah. worse. I think they would be thankful for a teacher that intervened and possibly even gave their life. I wouldn't celebrate, you know, if I was in that role, I, I would think about if I got put in that situation, I would not be celebrating like the death of an armed intruder. If I had to take them down, I wouldn't mm -hmm. celebrate that. But I also, man, if I yelled repent and that didn't work, <laughs> I, I, I feel like, I feel like the worst thing to do would be to allow, uh, gosh, mm -hmm. I, I don't, I don't know, you know, and then I extrapolate that beyond the, those instances because you have real instances of young men in particular, young women too, who are, you know, Christian boys growing up in youth group that are going like, all right, well, I got this military recruiter that came to my school. I'm not seeing a lot of college prospects or other things. I do have this sense of like, I'd like to go out and protect the innocent, like protect vulnerable people somewhere. 
maybe I'll enlist to be a soldier. Do we go, no, you shouldn't, you know, do we say no to joining the police if you're a Christian, because you have to, you have to use violent means. You have to use the gun. You can't. So uh, how much of that order, if we go like the future order of Christ will not have that, how much of it can we actually bring into the now? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, that's kind of the, uh, I don't want to call it the impossible question, but that's the billion dollar question, isn't it? Mm -hmm. I I wonder if some of it is, um, I mean, I don't know if you're talking about humanity um, on a um, large scale. You know, I remember asking my dad growing up why certain things happened in the Old Testament that didn't happen in the New Testament, you know. And my dad, and he used to, he, he, he used to use this term before it became associated with the political um, before it had a political association, he said, well, the Bible's a progressive book. Yeah. Right. And mm-hmm. I think that, like we sort of live in, um, in an age where, um, it's like, I don't know that we're gonna, that we're gonna have that thing that we're dreaming of. But I think, I think we have to try and strive for it, but there's still moments where we're gonna, we're going to live in the, in the old yeah. world. But you know what I mean? And what are Where the tools? Like, so bring this full circle. Yeah. Do you go to your guitar first to try to bring about that order before you yeah. go to the gun? I mean, for me, and I, yes. and I think that's, I, yes. Like that's yeah. preventative. There's, there's. Yeah. I mean, you know, I don't, I, there are a million ways to think of it. And I don't know that any of them are good. You know, like, do you think about um, the, this other person? I, I think maybe some of it is largely um, the way we see. And, okay, I had this conversation recently with, I think it was my dad, but how Jesus talks about the enemy. And my dad definitely has a very specific idea of the devil as like a living being entity. Mm-hmm. Like he's like another person who has these plans to ruin every, your life. Yeah. And like I um I, I think that's a perfectly fine way to see that I don't I don't know that I see it 100 percent that way that the devil is like this evil king who's you know out there but you know but that's a way to see it but uh, but we were talking about how like Jesus talks about the enemy a lot and I thought it was really interesting is how Jesus I think he I, you know I'm not a scholar I'm an I'm an enthusiast you know when it comes to scripture but. It seems like that's the only word I remember him using when he talks about the devil or Satan or Lucifer. He just says the enemy. But I, I think what's interesting to me is how um, he never calls people the enemy. It's always the enemy. The enemy is always something else. Unless he's instructing them to love their enemies, right? Yeah, to love their enemies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. to love their enemies. But but I think what he does is he takes the the idea of an enemy and he... He removes it and recontextualizes the idea that the enemy is not the person. So at the end of the day, the the person and they and I'm not mm-hmm. <laughs> you have to be so careful when you're having these conversations. But the the shooter mm-hmm. in the moment is the enemy. But the issue is the shooter is like really really broken, yeah. right? 
And like the enemy is not that person, even though you might have to treat that person like an enemy to save other lives in a certain context. Mm -hmm. The enemy is something deeper that is causing this person to act in broken ways, right? People don't, healthy people don't cut themselves open. Healthy people don't cut off their fingers. Healthy people don't kill other human beings for fun. Yeah. And so there's a deep, deep brokenness, you know? And so I think the world really loves seeing these people as enemies, really loves. Remember when Osama bin Laden was killed, you know, people were like rejoicing. And I was like, well, I'm glad he's not a threat anymore. Yeah. I'd have a hard time rejoicing that any human being was killed. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. Because I think that that human being was really just broken. What is the old, there's the old, um, thought um thought exercise where like if you could go back time and kill baby hitler would you and i saw the greatest response on the internet the other day he said he said no i wouldn't kill baby hitler he's like i would love him and show him (laughs) you know and teach him how to how to love people and show him that life was good you know what i mean i thought it was incredible that was such an amazing you know and and so i think maybe it begins Mm -hmm. with this uh, with learning how to see people. I mean, that's probably the revolutionary Jesus idea. Yeah. Was that even when he encounters demoniacs, people possessed by demons, you know, the, the, according to like church legend, the one that was the Gadarean demoniac, the one that was possessed by Legion, when he was set free and put in his right mind, he was became the first leader of a Christian community in his, in his region. Wow. You know? And so you do see the sense in which the, there is a spirit that oppresses people and Christ comes as the liberator. You know, there was another word that Jesus used for Satan. And uh, it's in, you know, I think of John 12, he's about to go to the cross. He's looking at the cross and he says, you know, the time has come, the ruler of this world will be judged. Yeah. You know, the archon, which was, you know, a Greek term that it, it described almost like a general an archon was like a, a provincial leader over an area. And so you have this deeply Christian idea that when Christians are sent out into the world and they declare that Jesus is Lord, unlike those in Caesar's world who declare that Caesar is Lord and those that don't accept it, are brought into order using the sword, those that are going out declaring Jesus is Lord are doing so by like healing the sick, generosity. And even Jesus makes it explicit. You are not like the Gentiles who are to lord it over people, but the way that you're supposed to to enact my kingdom is by washing people's feet. And so like to get that even into the practical, you think of a a shooter, you know, a whatever labels you want to place on that person or some other person, you think about, okay, yes, it was a tragedy that it happened. And in some sense, yes, we are rejoicing over the fact that this could have been a worse situation if, if not for the sake that at least somewhat virtuous people came in and saved children, but would have been even better is an agent of healing to actually break the spell the spirit the principality the power that was directing 
this person to do evil before it would have happened would have been a better thing to celebrate. And maybe like the best thing about, you know, an IP man is that I think he actually recognizes that too, Mm -hmm. that this or Logan even, or these conflicted, complicated heroes that are going, I, I know there's a better way because I see the cycle of violence continue here, here's yeah. something interesting, and it's your podcast, so I don't want to change gears. Go for it. But I can't help thinking about this, is that there is there is a very popular um, book and film, though I don't think the film entirely gets it, that is is not as connected to the Hunter Hero series as I think most other films in the genre. And I think that's The Lord of the Rings, especially The Hobbit. It's such an interesting book, even for its time, right? Mm-hmm. Because Bilbo, even more than Frodo, is like, he's not, not only is he anti-violence, he's not even interested. You know, he's, he's, he's not in any way the, the, the normal hero. Mm-hmm. And the thing that Bilbo does, the sort of pinnacle of the story, right? The climax of the story is what Bilbo does is challenges his best friend. Right. Mm-hmm. He actually challenges his best friend because what his, what his, you know, and, and you'd say, I if you, if you re- read the Hobbit, you realize, um, see in Lord of the Rings, Bilbo and Frodo have this little friend set. Right. But that doesn't exist in the Hobbit. The, and the Hobbit Bilbo seems actually kind of lonely. It doesn't have, yeah. yeah. doesn't seem to have relationship with other Hobbits. Yeah. So it goes on this journey and becomes very good friends with these weird elves they're not elves the dwarves mm-hmm. right and um and he's very very different from them but kind of starts to like them and yeah. they go through these things and they become somewhat close the the dwarves actually really kind of love bilbo you know and they even say that he can have a portion of the gold you know and then they're in this um it's it's hilarious if you think about it. i think it's is it, how many dwarves is it was it 14 Gosh, was I don't remember. I yeah. I can't remember, but it's a handful. Yeah. You know, and they've they they um they made the dragon angry. So the dragon left. The men actually killed the dragon, the, mm-hmm. the man village. But even though like a lot of them died, the dragon killed a lot of them. The um the elves actually saved them when they were starving in the woods, and the elves were there. So you have the men who also nursed them back to health and killed the dragon. And suffered great losses and then the the elves who are friends of the men you know who actually saved the dwarfs lives in the uh in the forest they're there and they both are just you know they really just come because they think the dwarfs are are dead and they just want to check out the gold the men want to rebuild their village because it's gone because the dragon mm-hmm. around so you get there and there's these handful of dwarfs who are like no we're not sharing it with anybody <laughs> And so they're about to mount up and have this war with one another, right? About to fight one another. And Bilbo sacrifices his portion of the gold, right? Uh, to bring peace. Mm-hmm. And he knows that it means that he is going to offend and probably lose his very best friend in the world. But he's willing to sacrifice his portion of the gold and his own relationship with probably his best friend. Because really for the good of everyone, but especially for the good of his friend himself, because he knows he's going to die if these 10 or 12 
dwarves try and fight two armies, they're going to die. Yeah. And it's, it's such a not cowboy <laughs> movie, a, a book. And that's yes. why I think the, the films get it wrong. They try very, very hard to bring that element. And it's really not there. Mm-hmm. Even in Aragorn, it's not really, it's not really there. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but I, I can't think of another, another book or film like it. Yeah. And it even makes me think like some of the critiques on like C.S. Lewis's stuff is that Lewis always goes to even in the space trilogy my my favorite of the three in the space trilogy is paralandra yeah and in the end like the hero has to defeat the villain now again this is is it a spiritual defeat is he actually killing somebody but it's through killing you know and that's the same for that hideous strength mm-hmm. you know there's so one of the critiques people had of 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 Lewis in that form of story writing is couldn't, couldn't he envision a different way that the order is established without that violent end? And uh, maybe maybe Tolkien d- does in some ways a better job. Now, obviously, they still got, especially in the Lord of the Rings, the these huge battles, and there's there's that. I don't think he's denying. The reality of those, especially after living through World War One himself. But as as you're talking, it made me think of something, and I I think this might, I think this might be the the key right now that I'm, I don't know. This is still very much in process, but I want to throw it out to you. The danger for me now that I think about it is, if we don't have, like the nonviolent way of jesus to be the higher the highest ideal we strive for i don't know if we'd be able to say where the lesser heroes actually miss the mark so we almost need we need jesus to be the compass Mm -hmm. the ethical cup compass for logan Mm. we need jesus to be the ethical compass even for frodo or bilbo we need them to be the ethical compass. And without that, so the real danger would be if you are in a Christian community where nobody really wrestles with kind of like the not the, the lamb who was slain, not the lamb who was slaying, the lamb who was slain being victorious. Mm-hmm. If people don't tell that story and tell it honestly, you can very easily, you could make like a David figure the hero of the Bible and you kind of make Jesus like the one that just dies on the cross for your sins, but you're still kind of looking at David as the hero all the time. And if that's the case, I don't think you could look at Logan and say, well, Logan, you got nothing to be guilty about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what do you think about that? I mean, do we need, even though we can't bring it all the, the way into the here and now, I think we need to have that standard. Like there needs to be that standard for us to be able to even to say like, no, Logan, the Logan hero, this is where you missed the mark. And, oh, you know, U.S. foreign policy and the way we 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 go to war, like mm-hmm. it's missing the mark. You have to have some sort of prophetic voice to bring a critique and to change. Otherwise, 
if we elevate Logan to the ultimate here, I just keep going back to that one. Well, okay. So here's a thought um, coming from a, you know, a musician, not a, not a philosopher or an academic, but I have had this thought before, you know, so maybe there are times, I mean, I don't think, I mean, you know, maybe there are times you need a Logan. Maybe there are times you need to, you know, to mm-hmm. go over you know, to, to Germany and and fight yeah. because yeah. The, the entire world is threatened. Mm-hmm. Um, but but maybe that's so deep in us that when we don't have that, we turn on ourselves. And I wonder if that has something to do with sort of the polarization yeah. and the negativity and the anger. Totally. I, I wonder if like there, it, it's like the... Um, if that thing is in a, is so deep within us that we almost need an enemy that if we don't have one, we find one, mm-hmm. you know, and maybe, um, this is where we really need, uh, we really need a higher, um, uh, 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 uh we, we need a, a higher value. We need a higher, I don't know. There's a better word than goal. Ideal. Ideal. This is yeah. where we need it. This is where we need a higher ideal because you're right. I think if, if we only have the John Wayne Logan ideal, then when we don't have an enemy, when we don't have someone to fight, then do we turn on ourselves? Mm-hmm. You know, the way we're turning on ourselves, you know, totally, totally. Yeah. And to never wrestle with when we see like at the very end of IP man, him finally go and just, you know, go super Saiyan <laughs> in the end. If, if we're never like conflicted about, well, maybe I shouldn't celebrate that. If we never check that thing, I'm not, I'm not saying like we shouldn't. I think there probably is a place to celebrate and celebrate's not the right word. There's a better word for it. It's the exact thing that you mentioned with bin Laden or, with Hitler and not that those two were the same, but you see people that would continually, if there were no final intervention that they would continually enslave and perpetrate acts of injustice and impress others that you can celebrate the end of that. But there's also like this real, and this is kind of like the dark side of the force you know, and this is one of the part great parts of Lucas's myth around that. If you, the Jedi weren't supposed, they wouldn't, they were never supposed to be offensive. You know, they were never supposed, they was, they're only supposed to use their fighting abilities, their tools for defense, never for attack. Yeah, right? yeah. that's that's Yoda's thing, and that's where they actually got off during the Clone Wars. Now we're going to get real nerdy here. (laughs) That they became an army Mm -hmm. um, that was always justifying what they were doing as defense. Yeah. And uh, without the ideal, I think we could too easily celebrate that. And it doesn't check us. And if we don't get that checked, especially men Mm -hmm. in particular, we know there's a great book. It's called T by Carolyn Hoover. She is a scientist uh i forget what kind of science but it's a great scientific book on testosterone 
mm-hmm. and what testosterone does across mammals, including humans. And aggression and testosterone are clearly linked. Mm-hmm. Like, doesn't mean that if you're a testosterone pumping man, man, that you have to be aggressive, but you should recognize that that aggression is like in your nature. And if we don't have some sort of standard to say, this is not how we ought to use that. I think you're totally right. When I look online at people in like culture war debates, yeah, like women do get involved, but by and large part, it's bros, (laughs) you know, (laughs) you know, there's, I know there's a few like female talking heads in the culture war stuff, but the louder with Crowders, the, all of those are predominantly like male driven personas. And I don't know if they know what to do with their aggression. And I think they think they're turning it into some good purpose. Well, and to circle back to the watchman, what was the whole idea behind the um, dropping a squid on New York? Right. Mm -hmm. Is that, um, you know, it was during the cold war. I think the book was written in the eighties during the cold war. Right. Yeah. At least the the good one. I mean that it got it got off. Yeah, there's some uh, Alan, that Alan Moore didn't do. Yeah, they're just trying to keep the characters alive. But the Alan, <laughs> the best, the best series, you know, around dropping the squid on New York, and uh, Ozzy Mandis is that his name? Yeah, Ozzy Mandis. Ozzy Mandis. Yeah. His whole his whole point is that I need to give them an enemy, or they're going to kill each other. We're going to kill ourselves. So he created an existential enemy for people to be concerned about, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh. But that, that's kind of the, but I, I wonder if that was Alan Morris like, period, on that statement. Like, do you need an enemy? Why do you need good and evil? Mm-hmm. Right? Why do we need heroes to kill the bad guy? You know, and I think that was his point. <laughs> his point was like, if we don't have a common enemy, then we will become enemies of one another. So is if that's true, like maybe that is true, and that the way of Jesus is seeing the enemy is not another image bearer, but you have to have like you have to have a Satan. Like yeah. You have to have like, it's the, I, it's the powers behind it. I, I do think, and I think there's room for talk of like spiritual warfare. And well, I mean, even that was one of the ways like the early, m- many of the early church fathers are like origin, for example, kind of like we're going, well, what, what do we do with like the Canaanite conquest? Mm-hmm. And for them, they were like, well, we can spiritually allegorize it. You know, so we're not looking at Joshua and the Battle of Jericho as a stamp of approval on offensive warfare or, you know, Samson pulling down the pillars as, a, you know, an ancient suicide bombing. We don't need to look at it at that. These are spiritual allegories for how we have to deal with sin, how we have to deal with prince, the principalities and powers. And so maybe that is the way. Like we need a place to channel it because there actually is forces that would do us a, a very um, that are that are that are out for our demise that we do need to recognize and have to direct some sort of energy and 
energy toward, but it's not another image bearer. Yeah. I don't know. (laughs) I mean, I think that I I do think that that would be historically like the early church because it is think you think about, well, if you took the American formative stories of the cowboy hero, are Christians ever getting thrown to the lions in the Coliseum? Or are they like taking up arms? And then what happens when they take up arms? Do they actually justify why the Romans think they're a threat in the first place? You know, so what does that look like if we take the American story and the form first century Christians? Are there less martyrs? Do we hear less of those stories? And do they do they end up like what happened? And this was maybe Jesus's warning when the Romans actually come and squash out the Jewish revolt in the year AD 70, where there were revolutionaries, the zealots kept going on their zealous mission. And the Romans just came in and said, we've had enough. Like we're burning the city to the ground (laughs) a generation after Jesus. And then they do it again. I believe it's in the year like 130. You've got this Messiah figure, Simon Barcoba, who calls himself like, you know, he's Simon, son of the star, and they rebel against the Roman Empire for what we would probably say are totally justifiable reasons. And then the Romans come in and sack them. And, you know, that's where probably the great expulsion of Jewish people happens between those two, two Jewish revolts and Jewish wars. Uh, if the Christians act like that in the first century, I think it's a totally different story. Yeah. But I don't know. Now, what do we do when we're the ones in positions of power? Like when we're Rome. Mm. Yeah. Well, I think that's a good place. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. You know, maybe I think we landed on at least a couple things that might be of of value for people, for people to chew on. So this is exactly what I want to do, John Mark. I wanted to process and work through this stuff. Because I love the way you think about it. And it's comes- Dude, well, thanks. Sometimes I feel a little bit, you know, like I'm not a, I'm not an academic. I, you know, I read some books, but mm-hmm. you know, I realize I can't always hang with all the, you know, I, I sometimes I like I don't sound stupid. Don't sound stupid. No, no, no. no it's not that. Stupid. You're. I mean, I think there's, if anything, like the academics need the poets. Yeah. In their life, the. And you're a poet and it's uh, maybe a different, like a different pathway by which you are maybe engaging with the world than like a traditional academic in some sense. But that engagement is valuable and important. I mean, Alan Moore got that. Alan Moore is a weird dude. I don't know if you know (laughs) him at all. Not his story. I mean, not personally, obviously, (laughs) but he's, I mean, he talks about like, he feels like he has channeled spirits. He felt like he has actually personally like channeled demons and he sees comic books and language and the arts as kind of doing what we were talking about, which is he definitely sees them as tapping into spiritual domains. Definitely does. I, uh, my my brother for my birthday, my brother, you know, the, um, you know what masterclass is? Well, the BBC has their version of masterclass, which is called maestro. Mm -hmm. And they have like 
you know, Mark Ronson as a producer and they're just really incredible people. Anyway, Alan Moore is teaching a writing class. My brother bought me Alan Moore's writing class. Yeah. Uh, it's super fascinating, but he considers um, writing and creating to be no different than uh, performing magic. Yeah. And, casting a spell. Exactly. And I, in some ways I disagree with him in some ways I don't. I know I'm in the same because, place. Because he said, you know, before we could write, he said, my consciousness was only mine. And we don't really think about it, but it was writing was like magic. All of a sudden, if you could read and write, I could throw my consciousness as far as a letter could go. Mm -hmm. Right. So before you could write, your thoughts were yours and only yours. And after you could write, you could transfer your consciousness, so to speak, to other people and if your ideas were um, interesting, you could change the way they thought about things. And so you could, you could kind of bewitch people mm -hmm. by the things that you said, by ideas, you know, and he's not entirely wrong. No, totally not. <laughs> totally not. You know? I think probably the thing we have the harder time with is like just dismissing that instead of seeing that as probably true. And that yeah. the thing I would try to add to the conversation is this is the thing where I feel like Western people are kind of naive because they just think all I need is a transcendent experience. And what I'm trying to say is like what our old charismatic and Pentecostal friends would say, there are things that transcend us that are not for our good. And I do think there's light and dark magic that's brought about in when you do those sorts of spells, yeah. if you will. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. So John Mark McMillan, the, yeah wizard of light <laughs> that's that that's that's your next ep all right well i am the new record is called deep magic yeah yes yeah, yeah. and i you know and I, I it is funny certain aspects of my audience may not like it but if i tell them that i derived it from a c.s lewis book i'm fine because for some reason c.s lewis gets a pass on everything he does he it's does a pass yeah yeah <laughs> but it is true it is from a quote from a the Chronicles of Narnia. Yep. Even though maybe it applies on a broader scale, but that's yeah. What I, yeah. Well, thanks again for your valuable attention, and I hope you've gotten something out of today's conversation. If so, I'd love to hear from you, whether it's an observation, maybe there's a tangential thought that hit you while you were listening, maybe even have some critique or maybe a pushback. I'd love to hear all of that stuff. So feel free to reach out to me. You can do so on Patreon by sending me a message. You can participate in the discussion forum for this episode or in our Deep Talks Discord server. Another way you can reach out if you're not plugged in on Patreon is by uh, reaching out to me on Twitter at Paul Ann Leitner uh, or also on Instagram. You can also find me there at, at Paul and Leitner. I want to give an extra special thanks to Clint, Jesse, Alex, BJ, Daniel, Dave, Eli, Elise, Garth, Jean-Marc, Jesse, John-Marc, Josie, J-Tom, Justin, Lola, Luke H., Matthew, Michael Hernstein, Paul Reese, Rob, Sam P., Selena, and Tim. Thank you all for your generous support. I can't do this podcast without you. I sincerely mean that. 
And again, if you are interested in supporting and becoming a member of the Deep Talks Patreon community where you will get also these like additional perks like bonus Q&A episodes, we do um, Zoom calls together, we hop on and have live Q&As and discussion times. It's a bunch of really great people and I learn a lot from their input as well. If you're interested in any of that, click the link in the description below. And until next time, friends, we will talk again soon.